Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we are joined by Mike Jarenka. He's a certified public accountant in Seattle, Washington. He specializes in taxes, so the tax man has cometh. Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome. I'm so excited. Welcome, Mike. Mike is a longtime friend of mine. He is somebody that I turn to with a lot of my tax decisions and business decisions. He's very knowledgeable. He has my stamp of approval, and he doesn't actually pay me to say that I <laughs> pay him. But welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, thanks for having me. Especially at this time of year, joining us right at the beginning of tax season, and we are so lucky to have you. You are a saint. You, he really is. Is, especially with a lot of the questions that are coming up for our American listeners about how the new tax bill that just passed through Congress is going to affect small businesses. So Mike, what can you tell us about how this is going to affect small businesses? For the mass majority of businesses, it's not going to have a huge effect. We're going to be allowed the same deductions that we were allowed before. There is some new limitations on certain types of deductions, but it's not a vast change. You're still going to be able to write off rent and office supplies and, and all those typical business expenses that you would incur as a business before, you're still going to be allowed to write them off today. There is some new, you probably heard in the tax bill about pass-throughs and this pass-through deduction. That is brand new. CPAs are still trying to figure out exactly what that means and exactly what Congress's intent there was. But for the vast majority of small businesses, it's going to be operating the same as you have in the past. They didn't structurally change any of the deductions or anything that a typical small business would incur in the past. So it'll be mostly standard operating procedures before, though there will be some changes to the pass-through deduction, interest limitations, and those types of things. But other than that, it's going to be relatively the same as it has been in the past. Can you explain a little bit about what the difference is between a business expense and a deduction? So a business expense, the Internal Revenue Code would say that a business expense is anything that's ordinary and necessary to run your business. So in a typical business, you need computers, you need desks, you need office supplies, you probably have to have a phone, need some sort of software. Those are all what the IRS would consider those ordinary necessary business expenses to produce profit. So and for my therapy practice, this would include things like rent, being able to go to networking events, being able to buy season tickets to the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's actually talk about the season tickets to the Lakers. Uh, in the past, you would have 
been allowed to deduct those, assuming you took some kind of client or referral partner or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that to the game. You would have been able to deduct that as an entertainment expense because you were networking. Now those entertainment expenses are not deductible. So Uh, meals and going to events are not going to be, there's not going to be a meals and entertainment deduction anymore? There will be a meals deduction. So meals and entertainment Uh in the past was always limited to 50% of the deduction because of the proposed possible abuse of that deduction. There was always the 50% limitation in the past. Now they've split entertainment and meals into two separate categories, essentially. Entertainment is no longer deductible, but what they define as entertainment is something that has an entertaining purpose. So season tickets, golf club membership, country club membership, uh, tennis membership, something Mm -hmm. like that, where you are going to the facility, particularly for the entertainment value, those are no longer deductible. Meals all are going to follow the same 50% threshold that they've always done. They have to have a business purpose tied to them. You have to be able to substantiate why that meal was important, who you were talking with, and, and what the business purpose was. So no changes to meals. I'm under continuing education requirements. There's CPE conferences all over the country. If I go to one of those, that's still a deductible expense. My meals there are going to be limited to 50%, but the actual cost of the conference, my hotel room, all those things would still be deductible because my purpose is not to go there to be entertained. My purpose is to go there to learn about the tax laws. So networking and education and meals that are networking meals, those all things will continue to be deductible. One of the people I had talked to said there was a distinction between networking kind of entertaining meals versus kind of working lunches. Is that still something? Is that even relevant to talk about? In both those cases, as long as there was a business purpose for that meal, I think you would be fine taking that deduction. It's always about what the underlying purpose of the Mm -hmm. meeting or lunch or dinner is. If it is actually business, then it's a deductible expense. If Mm -hmm. it's more like you're entertaining somebody, then it probably falls in the entertainment category. Got it. So one of the things I wanted to ask is I've heard this thing about this pass-through and I'm not really clear even what that is. So I understand that there's (laughs) there's more there, but explain what this is a new, new phrase that I'm hearing. There's a bunch of different ways that a person who's operating a business could report their income and expenses. The easiest and to just be a sole proprietorship. So you're operating in your own personal name. So mm-hmm. Katie's business or Kirk's business. And you would file that on your Schedule C as part of your annual individual tax return filing, the 1040. And you would pay your taxes at the individual level. So that's a sole proprietorship. You could also form a corporation and the corporation would pay its own taxes. That would not be a pass-through. And typically in my business, we don't see a lot of corporations except for in the technology industry. There's two other types of businesses that are very common. One is a partnership or an LLC, and one is an S-corporation. Those two businesses do actually file tax returns, but they don't, for federal purposes, don't pay any tax typically. There's special cases where they do, but very uncommon. And those, why they're called pass-through is the income that that business generates rates ends up being paid by the individual who owns that business. And that's why it's called pass-through because the business passes through the income to the individual. And that's what a pass-through is talking about. And that's why there's this new deduction. It's called the pass-through deduction. Unfortunately, it's not applicable to a lot of service businesses. However, that limit doesn't kick in until you're making around $300,000 as a married couple. It's going to be a relevant deduction going forward. It's probably the most complicated part of this tax bill 
that we'll have to digest and figure out who it applies to and who it doesn't apply to. But that's what a pass-through does is it passes the income the business earns onto the individual to pay the tax. If I'm understanding this correctly in a therapy practice, that if I'm wildly successful, if my wife and I make $300,000 combined between my practice, my wildly successful practice, and whatever it is that my wife does for her income, you're telling me that that's when this pass-through benefit actually starts to benefit me having an S-corp versus a different type of tax setup? Actually, it benefits you up to the $300,000. you are in a better situation if you stop earning income when you hit the $300,000 threshold. (laughs) All right, it's Uh, October. I'm not taking any more clients because this doesn't benefit me anymore. (laughs) uh, Every one of the things that are, a lot of things that are in the tax code have what's referred to as phase outs. So the benefit starts to phase out when you receive certain levels of income. Almost every deduction has a different phase out threshold. And so the pass reduction for service businesses does start to phase out when your joint income reaches over $300,000. You're going to start losing some of that pass through deduction benefit. But there is a bunch of other limitations depending on if you have a bunch of employees or this wouldn't really apply in a therapy practice because it's not a capital intensive business that you're operating. And for our listeners, across the country, please make sure that you're checking with your state laws on how you can structure your business. I know that some states like California, we are limited to either operating as a sole proprietorship or as a corporation. Being in a limited liability company or an LLC is not available to practitioners here. It is available in some other states. So please make sure that you are checking with your state laws on what kind of jurisdiction you can have in setting up your business. Yeah, I know that both Kurt and I have S-Corps and it sounds like depending on how it's structured, how it's reported, you know, depending on how successful we are, how successful our spouses are, there could be a phase out there. What is the benefit of having an S-corp or a pass-through corporation as a service professional? Well, just let's <laughs> talk about just general business practice. It's always good to have some sort of, even if you're a sole proprietorship or an S-corp, but definitely in an S-corp or LLC, you definitely want to keep your books and records separate from your personal life, separate from your business life. So this um, is having a separate checking account, separate credit cards to keep things in easier way to track. Yeah, Not just absolutely. like grabbing cash and taking it with you when you leave. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, CPAs hate that type of stuff. Having a separate bank account that the business income and expenses are paid out of, having a separate credit card that you run your personal expenses on and your business expenses on a separate card, it makes life so much easier. It helps actually protect yourself liability-wise. It If you were to ever get audited by the IRS, heaven forbid, it can make that audit go much more smoothly because they're not trying to differentiate your personal checking account, what was a business expense and what was a personal expense. It just makes life much, much easier. But back to the question, there are reasons to operate as an S-corporation. The reason a CPA would suggest operating as an S-corp is we can manipulate how much you're contributing to Medicare and Social Security by, in most cases, the IRS says that you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary but you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily need to pay yourself everything that the business is making. So some portion of your income will escape Social Security and Medicare taxes, which you would not be able to do in a sole proprietorship. That's the classic reason why we suggest Mm -hmm. making taxes an S-corporation. And now with this pass-through deduction, that would be another reason why you potentially want to look at this. The other reason, more from a legal standpoint, is just separation of the liability of running a business from your personal assets. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. 
as a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So what you're talking about as far as operating an S-Corp for how it works in our business is that, as Katie mentioned, we're both set up as S-Corporations. We pay ourselves as employees, or at least I do, of the corporation. So there's the taxes that are taken out as if I worked for any other business. But there's also almost like a dividend that I pay myself beyond that that you're referring to as being able to not have to pay into the Social Security and Medicare taxes that is then a net benefit to me as the owner of the business. Yep, exactly. So if you were, let's say you were running a sole proprietorship and you made $100,000, that whole $100,000 would be subject to Medicare and Social Security taxes of 15.3%. And it would also be subject to whatever your marginal income tax rate was. In an S-Corp scenario, we would take that same $100,000 of income, but we would divvy it up. We would say your reasonable salary was $60,000 for the year. And so that $60,000 is subject to the 15.3% of Social Security and Medicare taxes, both the employer portion and the the employee portion, just like if you were working anywhere else. But that $40,000, the other income is not going to be subject to that 15.3% tax. And so you're saving quite a bit of money right there. Mm -hmm. Small CPAs who are smaller CPA firms who are in the service clients or in the service industry, that's that's what we're pitching to our clients almost every single day. Is there a gross receipts amount annually that people should be considering filing as an S-corp or setting up as an S-corp structure versus continuing to work as a sole prop? I would say once you're reaching about $100,000 of a net income. It makes sense. There's some added expense for filing an extra set of tax returns. And in certain states like California, there's an additional charge that the state charges you for having an S-corp. And, you know, there's some administrative burden there that it eats away at the tax benefit. But once you're making about $100,000 of income, it probably makes sense to take a look at it because you're probably not going to continue to make $100,000 over time. You're hoping that that would grow. So your benefit would only increase as your income gets higher. And I I think that's something I want to point out that you said net income versus gross receipts because Kurt, you had said gross receipts. And I think a lot of people will, can have a lot of revenue coming in, but if their expenses are offsetting a lot of it, then they lose the benefit of being an S-corp, right? If, they're, yes, if, they're that, net rev, if, they're, if their net income is actually more like 50000 even though they had $100,000 in gross receipts. Yes, exactly. We're always worried about what the bottom line, the taxable income or net income of the business is. That's how we determine. It doesn't really matter what your gross receipts are 
because it, your expense burden could be really high on those gross receipts and your, your gross profit could be low. So we're always, once you reach net income of about $100,000, you know, $75,000 to $100,000, you're probably looking at some benefit from talking to a qualified CPA. If I'm understanding this correctly, with this new tax bill out, there's not a huge rush that if I'm not set up as a corporation right this second, I, I don't have to go out and be a S-Corp right now. That It's really more about where my business is overall. Yeah. I always tell my clients and anybody that I'm advising is you don't always just let the tax tail wag the dog. There's important considerations to think about from taxes, but there's other types of considerations. I think you mentioned, Kurt, that certain states may restrict the entity types that a therapist could operate um, so that, you know, legal state requirements, all kinds of other things could also push you one way or the other. So there's no reason to just go run to LegalZoom.com and get yourself an escort <laughs> tomorrow because Mike Tarenka said it's the greatest thing to do. You, you really need to think about it holistically. Taxes is one component that needs to be considered, but there's other considerations as well. It sounds like there's a lot of things to think about that are also pretty individualized. There's state laws and the different legal pieces. There's the tax considerations. But even the tax considerations are not just dependent upon what you're doing as a business or as a business owner. It could be based on what your spouse is doing. It could be based on state and local taxes. I mean, there's just, there's, it seems like there's a lot of complexity here. And so really once people get to about 75,000 to 100,000 net income, that they should talk to a CPA to make sure that they're considering all the different pieces. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you should always have qualified advisors around you, no matter what your Mm -hmm. income level is, but certain levels of net income, you're going to get to a place where you're going to say, you know what, I'm willing to accept some more complication to running my business for the benefits that may derive from that complication. And once you get to certain levels, those things become more advantageous and can provide you more benefit. And so you're willing to pay for that complexity and deal with that complexity. When your net income is less, there's less need to get complicated or complex in your business operations simply to save a few dollars on taxes. One of the things that my accountant has always told me, and it's probably because he's my accountant and he wants me to keep paying him, is that a qualified CPA is probably going to save you more money annually than not paying a CPA. <laughs> I I, I would agree with that statement. Um, <laughs> I think you've said that statement. Is that what I'm getting? <laughs> yeah, uh, that statement has come out of my mouth before. Yes, there, particularly in a business environment, usually I can give somebody a tip or guide them to a different way to have their income tax that can save them uh, significant amounts of money, which typically will cover my fee for doing that type of service. And there's lots of things that people don't realize when they're running a business that, oh, I didn't realize that was deductible or, you know, I never really took that into consideration before. So there's tips and and tricks that we can offer along the way that typically more than pay for our services. If we're just preparing an individual's 1040 tax return, there's not a whole lot of manipulation we can do or things that can be done after the year end that can really affect your taxes. So on a 1040, you're probably paying for me to just deal with the compliance. There's just some small things I can probably do to help save you some taxes. But in a business environment, 
definitely. Most of the time, we probably save three to four to five times what someone is paying us in an annual fee to manage their tax affairs by saving them money. I have a question because I've had several different CPAs and many of them have seemed like good guys, good folks, you know, doing good things. And there's been mistakes made. And so I've had to shift a number of times. I'm actually pretty okay with the person I'm with now, but I think it's hard to figure out how do you know if you have a good CPA? So what are the things that people should ask when they're interviewing CPAs? Because I know for me, I've met people networking, thought they were cool. They seem to have a good reputation. They seem to know what they were talking about. And then I was, there was mistakes that were made. So how, do, how does somebody find a good CPA? I think you should probably go talk to several different people in your area. Typically, it's easier to work with someone who's close though with technology. You know, you can be pretty much anywhere and work with someone or communicate with them. Find somebody who's knowledgeable about your specific industry. So there's probably not somebody out there who is a CPA who just deals with therapists. But there is a CPA out there, lots of CPAs out there, who deal with service industries as their main client base. So somebody who's familiar with service industries. And frankly, find somebody you get along with, somebody you can talk to, somebody you feel comfortable picking up the phone and having a chat with, and somebody who's available. Just like in a lot of industries, there's a lot of CPAs who are part of the baby boomer generation who are retiring. And so there is kind of a shortage of us in the industry at this given point, just like there is in all kinds of other industries because of the baby boomer age. And so a lot of us are really busy, but if somebody's willing to get back to you via email or have a quick phone conversation with you when you have a question, that's somebody you want to work with. If you can't ever get a hold of them, they won't ever respond to your email. That's probably not a good situation. With the exception that probably from about mid-January through <laughs> April 15th, that they're <laughs> going to be busy doing all of the stuff that they're, they're busy season and entails. Yeah, that's the that's the crunch time for us. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. With the new tax bill, I'm hearing a lot about some limits on the state and local tax deductions. For a lot of people in higher tax states, how is that going to affect our business taxes? How do we really plan around that cap right now? The limit you're referring to, Kurt, is it's an itemized deduction limit. So that's a deduction that's taken on an individual's tax return. It's limited to $10,000 per year. The taxes that fall in that category are real estate property taxes, so typically on the home you own, personal property taxes. Most states or several states charge a tax on your vehicles when you license them. And also state income tax. So California has a pretty high rate of taxation. Those taxes would fall into that bucket and they would be limited to $10,000 a year. Frankly, there's not a whole lot we can do about the limit unless you ran out and prepaid your real estate taxes for 2018 and 2017. But for business, it's a little bit different. So if you're operating as a sole proprietor, a lot of that income is taxed as an individual. Also as an S-corp or partnership, those are being taxed as at the individual level as well. So the state taxes on that income would go into that deduction. But there's other types of taxes that businesses pay that would still be a business deduction, just like they were in the past. Up here in Washington state, we have personal property taxes that we pay on 
computers and desks and, and things that we have for our business, fixed assets that we have, that would still be a deductible business tax, not subject to the $10,000 limit. We also, up here in Washington State, have a B&O tax on gross receipts. That would still be a deductible business expense, not subject to any sort of limitation. In California, you pay a franchise tax for operating a business. That would still be a business deduction, not subject to the limit. So there's a lot of taxes that you would pay or have always paid that would still be business deductions. It just depends on what category it falls in, whether or not it's going to be subject to that limit. But it sounds like there's not much we can do about that. It's just something we have to plan for financially. Yeah. As a CPA, we always talk about smoothing out your income from year to year so that you don't have these big spikes in income, which may make that limit worse because you're paying a really high amount of tax in one year. So there's probably some planning to do if you think you're going to have a really good year is timing when you pay that tax to the state may be helpful and trying to defer income or recognize income early into a prior tax year so that you're not just blowing through that $10,000 threshold. It's frankly just something we live with now. There's not a whole lot of things you can do other than try to overall save taxes. Save taxes and then also save for taxes. I know one of the questions I had when I was thinking about talking with you is how to plan for taxes for 2018. And I know that for sole proprietors who were supposed to be doing quarterly taxes for S-Corps, we're doing payroll taxes and that kind of stuff. How do we plan at this point? Do we know enough to really have a sense of what we're going to be paying and all the different taxes? The IRS here shortly should be releasing tables for employers to update their withholding calculations on payroll taxes. So that should be coming out here shortly. In February, you'll likely have some adjustments to make on paying yourself a W-2 and how much federal income tax you withhold. We do know what the tax thresholds are and the rates of income those taxes apply to. So you could reasonably plan for what your taxes look like in 2018. Right now, we know enough about the bill. We know what the tax rates are. It's going to be a little bit confusing, though. For an individual, the tax rates didn't move that much. There's not a huge amount of tax savings for an individual in this bill. And so I wouldn't expect if your situation was similar in 2017 as it is in 2018, that your tax should change all that much. There's a potential if you're hit really hard by that $10,000 state and local income tax threshold that your taxes might actually go up in 2018. But most CPAs, and even there's some websites out there that you can plug some basic information from your tax return in, and it could give you a result of what your 2018 taxes would look like. Any other advice that you have for people at this point? My advice that I always tell everybody is actually in preparation for talking with you guys today, I listened to your goal setting podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I always tell people one of your goals should just be to be organized about your taxes and your business. Keep up with your bookkeeping. Don't wait till the end of the year. Just do things that you go throughout the year so you know where you're at. Touch base with your CPA a couple times a year and figure out, am I paying in enough tax on my estimated tax payments? Am I way overpaying the IRS? Should I be paying less? CPAs are happy to consult with their clients throughout the year. There's nothing worse than somebody coming to me with their tax documents during tax time and they're coming up with some big surprise that either I didn't know about or maybe they didn't even know about. They received a sum of money for some reason and they thought it wasn't taxable and turns out it is. It's always good to be organized 
organize your taxes, keep up with your bookkeeping, and talk to qualified advisors throughout the year so that there isn't any surprises. When it comes to filing your taxes, it just makes everything go smoother. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen that people make when preparing for taxes? For me, it's mostly just people misunderstanding what information we're looking for, what types of expenses go in which category, or just not having their business records or their tax records in any sort of organization. They take all the tax envelopes that they get, they put them in a pile, they don't even open them, and they walk (laughs) into our office. It's a good thing for people just to stay organized and to stay on top of it. It's not a bad idea if you're running a business to have a competent bookkeeper check with you monthly, quarterly, just to clean up your books. And so when they get to the CPA, they're in good shape. Things like that, just intentional things you could do throughout the year to help improve the results when it comes to actually filing your taxes. And it sounds like it could almost be something where people could do some sort of consultation or research at the beginning to make sure that they're putting things in the right boxes, that they understand what the deductions are. Because I know Kurt and I are on these Facebook groups and there's so many people who are asking other therapists, what's deductible? What should I do? And, and you know, therapists from all different states, even therapists <laughs> from different countries. And so it sounds like really getting a clear sense, because even like the meals and entertainment thing that we talked about in the beginning, it's important to know what's deductible, what's not deductible, what you can put on a business expense, what's a personal expense. And trying to do that ad hoc at the end of your first year of business even can be a big nightmare for a CPA or for yourself if you're trying to do your taxes yourself. So it sounds like really planning ahead and then staying organized is the the word of the day. Yeah, it's absolutely not a bad idea to get some advice up front, even before you start the business, as to what categories of expenses are deductible and how you should record them and getting advice about keeping your bank accounts separate, things like that, intentionally starting it up. It's really hard to go back in time, say it's, <laughs> it's, say it's February of 2018 and you're trying to pull together your 2017 taxes and you're like, man, I can't even remember what I did in January 2017. Was that a business mm-hmm. expense? Was that mm-hmm. not? Who was I meeting with at that lunch? That's a much harder to do. It's easier to do as you get your monthly statement to make notes on them, staple the receipts to them. You know, whatever system seems to work for you is best, but just to stay organized and on top of it throughout the year makes it much easier. Great. And for anybody who's interested in utilizing you or your services, how can they find you? Best way to get a hold of us is to check out our website, www.fjcpas.com. You can check out my profile or send us a message to the website and we'd be happy to chat with you. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Thank you very much, Mike, for joining us. I know that you're about to hit your very, very busy season. Thank you for all of the questions that you've answered. And for anybody who has future questions, I'm sure that we can bring Mike back in the future once he returns back to being able to have free time. (laughs) Comes out of the tax season bubble. So check out our website, mtsgpodcast.com. Check us out on social media and follow along as we develop our Therapy Reimagined Conference coming up in October of 2018 here in the Los Angeles area. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Mike Jarenka. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.